Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Dahmers. We have a great podcast for you today. Today's show is an interview with Donnell Freeman, who's a husband, father, a regenerative dad, permaculturalist, regenerative farmer, beekeeper, teacher, and a fellow podcaster. I'm really excited to have Donnell Freeman on the show. Donnell has experience with beekeeping, rebuilding soil in arid places, and regenerating overgrazed pasture. He has run a successful CSA program. He has a lot of advice for those of us who are just starting small businesses, which includes market gardens, urban farms, CSA programs, and even blogs and podcasts. This will be a two-part interview, and this podcast will cover a lot of topics, including attending Hogtoberfest, beekeeping, starting and running a successful CSA program, and reading, rebuilding soils in arid environments. Part two will include a discussion about Donnell's Wicking Beds and Regenerative Dads podcast. In case you're new to small-scale life, we're living simply by growing, exploring, and living healthy. To put it simply, we're focused on gardening, healthy living, and having adventures along the way. Before we begin, let's hear from some friends of small-scale life. For this episode of the Small Scale Life Podcast, I wanted to give a big shout out to my friend Drew Sample at thesamplehour.com. He recently released episode 171, which is all about Hogtoberfest 2017. I listened to this podcast recently, and this podcast put me there in the middle of it all. The stories and experience told around the microphone reminded me of the stories and experience shared around the barrel stove in central Wisconsin at the Dahmer's Deer Camp 2017. This is how community is built, traditions established, and bonds between people developed. If you're missing that in your life, listen to this podcast. You'll hear something special. I have to give Greg and Susan Burns and the Burns family a huge thank you for the invitation this year, even though I couldn't make it, and I apologize about that. Also, I'd like to thank Drew Sample for recording this, and the Bee Whisperer himself, Michael Jordan, Donnell Freeman, and others for participating. It was a really special podcast, and I will be attending this next year. So check that out at thesamplehour.com, episode 171. While we're on the subject of Greg Burns, I would like to remind you that Nature's Image Farm does have comfrey left, and it is available for you at naturesimagefarms.com. As always, use discount code SSL for Small Scale Life for 10% off and free shipping. So if you would like to have some of your own Bocking 4 or Bocking 14 comfrey cuttings, reach out to Greg Burns at Nature's Image Farms today. And finally, I would like to remind you that our friends at Aussie Flame Weeders are still selling flame weeding kits to gardeners, market farmers, and urban gardeners. These are stainless steel five-baroner manifolds designed for a standard 30-inch garden bed. The kits include 16-inch tires and the ability to carry propane tanks so you don't have to. Check them out at AussieFlameWeeders.com. Well, this is fun. Uh, I, I'm glad we connected. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. Sure, miss, sure missed you out there at uh, 
Ugh. Octoberfest, that's oh, for sure. Oh, God, I know. I had been looking forward to going that all year and then the work stuff, and it just it, it fell apart on me, and I'm just kicking myself because it looked like a fun time. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, was, it was an experience. I will, I will tell you what. I, it's something else. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. now, I, now, now I get a little nervous. <laughs> You've been there before, right? No, I haven't been there. Well, we hadn't either. So okay. it was myself and drug my wife along, a couple of kids, and it was pretty freaking fantastic. But I'll, I'll tell you, Greg really, really, um, he's very, very respectful oh, yeah. with the whole thing. And, I mean, you, you cannot understand that until you're standing there watching him reading that <clears throat> Wendell Berry poem. He's like tearing up and stuff, and it's like holy smokes, mm. <laughs> very very serious. So yeah, it was it was a pretty doggone fast time for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know he reads that poem, and it's uh, it's almost like a sacred. I don't know, ritual is the right word, but uh, it's a sacred thing. And uh, I had talked a lot about you know small community and everything, um, and I think they've got something really special out there. You know that. Uh, that Ohio yeah. get stuff done crew or get shit done crew, um, you know Drew Sample and all those folks, uh, good people and doing good stuff, you know, and trying to help each other out. And uh, you know, I, I wanted to go out there just to see how they interact and and be a part of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was totally new to us. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't done any. Uh, I've, I've now I've cleaned a turkey. Uh, let's I've cleaned several turkeys, but I've never, I've never done a hog. I've never done beef. Uh, that is beyond the scope. <laughs> I've never done that kind of stuff. I'll tell you what, doing a hog was, uh, I mean, I've done lots of wild game and stuff, deer, elk and stuff uh-huh. like that, uh-huh. but, uh, it's just so different. So different. Yeah. You know, because... You've raised this animal and all that kind of thing. It's just, it's totally different. Yeah, it's not, it's not like a chicken or a turkey even. It's, uh, it's got size and, you know, mammal, you know, it's, uh, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys had like a barter blanket and all that kind of stuff going on. And, yep, we did. We had, uh, Greg set up his old barter table, and it was, was kind of cool. He built up, uh, I don't know, that sucker must be at least 10, 15 feet long. He got this table he built up just for doing that kind of stuff. Really? Huh. Yeah. It's a big, big deal. And you're, you're staying up, and you got all this room to lay out your stuff, and it was pretty intense, I'll tell you. I <laughs> I've got I got a couple things out of it, and uh, I've got to ship off a couple things. <laughs> People are expecting me to build some stuff. <laughs> oh, now what do you build? Well, it's the uh, so you probably see my quotes on Facebook about quilting boxes, etc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, beehive stands. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yes, yes, the beehive stuff. You bet. So I traded um, a guy uh, named John 
uh, he traded me some, I don't know, umpteen cloves of garlic and some Osage orange, which thank you TSA for confiscating that. Oh, they did? Uh, yes. Oh. Yes, they did. Oh, so, crud. I guess. <laughs> I got to send him a beehive stand, mm. and then uh, Mr. Greg Burns Sr., I owe him a uh, eight-frame quilting box, ah. and uh, Mr. Greg Burns Jr., I owe him a, <laughs> a beehive stand with uh, in exchange for some uh, tincture, shall we say. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hmm. You'll have to figure out. Uh, you'll have to figure out some ways to send that so um, someone in the mail doesn't confiscate it or, or it doesn't break in transit. You know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Greg's come out here a couple times. Um, last uh, winter, he was out here uh, for a couple projects and coming through. And I had breakfast with him a couple times. What a nice guy! Really, just oh, along man. with him, he's been on the podcast. Just. Class act guy, um, yeah, we could probably get in some real trouble if I lived out that way, but uh, what a nice gentleman. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we just kind of hit it off, so, yeah. Um, you know, Mike and I have been friends for a couple of years now, <clears throat> going on three years probably. I'll apologize ahead of time because I'm still getting over a cold. Yeah, I, yeah. Off. Act whatever, but uh, that's part of the like, reality dude. of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He's like, dude. He goes, you gotta talk to this Greg Burns guy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So last spring, you know, we got to chatting back and forth on text and whatnot. And I was like, look, I was like, why don't you and your family come out? You guys hang out and have a little vacation out here and come up for the B class and yeah. Go from there, and I'll tell you what, that is that is one generous family. Yeah. Holy folks. I mean, you know, go out to Oktoberfest, you just, man, they're just so, so generous. The the food and everything else and the whole atmosphere, it's just, uh, I, I couldn't even put a label on the whole thing. It was fantastic. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, I, I feel so bad that I missed, and, and uh, you know, that mistake will not be repeated. I'm going to take the whole week off and make a whole trip out of it. Um, there's people on the way that I can see, and, and some people, there's people in Ohio that, I, that I've interviewed and talked to before and, and would like to spend some time with, and uh, some things out there that I'd like to see as well. So that mistake will not be repeated again, that's for sure. Nice, nice. Yeah. She's <laughs> Yeah, and you know, good people, good people, and and I would, you know, the friendly friar. I would love to meet him as well. <laughs> well you've uh, obviously you've had some shows with Michael and stuff yeah. like that, but uh, you never actually met Michael in person, huh? No, I have not. I have not. Oh. He's a treat. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, when I when I, it, it's funny because when I interviewed him, it was a three hour interview, and uh, he was at the school doing it, yeah. and he was like in bike shorts. He had his video going, and I could see him, and he's in bike shorts, and I just was like, "Who is this guy oh. in bike shorts doing 
doing this podcast with me, but what a nice guy. I mean, just just top-notch, top-shelf kind of guy, you know? Yeah, he is. You're totally right. He's just fine word. He's so generous. Yep. He has, you know, I've, I've had bees for umpteen years. I've had as many as uh, 15 hives. Mm-hmm. And once I came across Michael's stuff, it was just like, first thing, <laughs> that first thought was like, dude, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you're full of it, you don't know what you're doing. But, you know, we had, we'd gone through 14 hives, 15 hives, and lost them all. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I had tons and tons of money put up with them, and we were feeding them, but we still had the kind of the old mindset of, you know, you just put them in a field, you give them a little yeah. feed, and they're fine, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a hard, hard lesson learned. Mm. Um, and watching his stuff and coming across is like, look at this guy. He's crazy. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's saying to do this and that. And I was just like, no, nah, that can't be. So anyways, my, uh, my buddy and I took a class from him. Uh, it was probably about, probably about three years ago. And, uh, went up, met him and went through the whole little class. And it was just, absolutely mind-blowing yeah like wow i've been doing this stuff all these years and uh yeah that doesn't really work yeah yeah well and and that he just he went on that journey and learned from all these beekeepers across the world and actually took the time to do it i mean there's a real lesson learned there you know if you've got the time and or, or to make the time to learn that kind of stuff in that depth it's it's pretty amazing you know yeah it's it's real amazing. We're uh, I'm looking pretty forward to it. Um, I've been hanging out with Michael for, like I said, about three years by now, and you know, we've we go on rafting trips and hung sure. out and just really, really enjoyed each other. And no, that's great. It's you know, um, my wife and Crystal have got to know each other and become friends, and so that's all pretty cool and stuff. Um, uh, this year, I'm very, very honored, I'll have to say, to <laughs> Michael. Is, um, I'm going to be his assistant beekeeper down at uh, uh, Jack Spearco's uh, fall class, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. hope I'm doing this, and hopefully I can help him out, right, and <laughs> stuff like that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of funny that I found out about Michael through Jack Spirko, you know, because I would listen to the panel of experts. And then there's this guy that comes on there and is talking about mead and bees. I was like, who the hell is this guy? He sounds like he's, you know, (laughs) hanging out in the surf or something, you know, let's talk about the bees. And, (laughs) ooh, that's pretty cool, you know. (laughs) Who the heck is this guy? (laughs) Little yeah. I know I'd have him on the podcast one day. So what a guy. That's great. Yeah. I, I'm I I think that would be a great experience down at Spirko's. I mean, I know he's doing some really interesting stuff with all the um aquaponics that he's got going on and everything. I think that's uh that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh 
definitely see how that all goes down there and stuff like that. You know, I'll have to say that it's been a couple of years, so I had to add all my 15 hives and stuff and lost most of them. And then uh, a couple of years ago, when I, when I, like I said before, I met Michael and stuff, I was like, look, I'm buying some bees from you. I'm going to try this. And oh, it's just, it's crazy how the the difference in beekeeping it is. It's like, you know, the more natural you go, you get the bees lined out. I have, so in my lower pasture, um, I've got two beehives down there that they're just, they've just exploded over the past couple of years. Um, and it's the whole, as Michael called it, his Russian uh, nut mix. And it's just, Russian mud Bam. mix. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's got. Um, you'd have to ask him on details exactly, but it's a, a, a mixture of Russian bees and a African drone and a couple other different varieties. But I've been out there and I actually have video of it. Um, it's thirty-eight degrees out. I've got my temperature gauge mm-hmm. and the. The bees are flying everywhere. Yeah, he he mentioned that in our uh, in our podcast. He talked about doing some of that cool stuff in the you know with the when the temperatures are dropping and these bees are still going. It must be must be that uh, tough Siberian blood or something in those little guys. And something little gals, like that. Little they gals. Just, <laughs> they they do really really well. So, um, are they sure I picked up? Um, a couple of different types from him that he was kind of experimenting with a little bit. And, uh, we'll see how they do. Cause he's not even sure how well they'll do. It's a, uh, Minnesota hygienic. Huh. And well, there you go. I'm in really Minnesota. Fun. So hoorah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And you kind of watch these guys, these gals, I should say. And, it's crazy. They almost hop around like grasshoppers. Huh. That's weird. They'll kind of, you know, if there's a, a pest on them of some sort, they'll kind of hop toward it, and they'll just all kind of crowd around one bee and just get real excited and stuff like that. And before you know it, they've popped off whatever intruder it is, and it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I've been keeping a pretty detailed uh, record of, their honey production and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I mean, this is their first year here and man, they're just, they're doing fantastic. Oh, that's great. Uh, I cannot get over how well they're actually, I mean, even this time of year, they are still, even tonight, I was sitting out there um, on my chair watching them. They're still pulling some kind of pollen in from somewhere. Really? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been down in like the 30s, and everything got nailed with frost here in the Twin Cities, finally. I mean, I think my garden was one of the last ones standing, because it's sheltered by the two houses, and I'm on a small lot here, and it finally got nailed this week, and we've had snow. I don't think any of the gals are out working. Uh, It's pretty cold, you know, so I I think they're kind of done for the year here, but... uh, you know, over in Colorado, it's probably a little bit warmer, maybe. I could be. Uh, I can't remember. Do you guys have a beehive? 
No, we don't. We don't. I don't have any bees. I've never done bees. I've never done chickens. I've never done pigs. Never done that. I am a city slicker. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the question for me is just the guests here and stuff like that, but how in the world did you get into all this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I have to... That's a great question, and it's it's been a podcast that I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, what where I started, uh, where it all started for me, um, I can trace it all the way back to well, when I was a kid, my parents had big gardens. Um, my grandparents always had gardens on both sides of the family, um, but for me, it was it was never anything fun. It was one of these big uh, tilled up portions of the yard. And it looked great when you first seeded the thing or put the first seedlings in. But then it turned into a big, weedy mess. And I wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, My parents would stop trucks on the side of the road and get a big bushel of beans. And we'd be up there snapping beans all night and processing that kind of stuff. They would be canning. They would be doing all kinds of stuff. And I wanted nothing to do with it. Um fast forward till I was, you know, I was a consultant in Illinois and I was all railroads were my clients and I was office leader. I was a group leader. I had groups spread across the country and it was stressful. And we hit 2007, then 2008 and things were just going down. Everything was going down. I had clients telling me that, you know, Hey, I got to keep my people employed. We're we're just like a computer on my desk. I I I have to get rid of you. <laughs> so I had that going on, right? So and um, at the same time, my wife was reading Little House on the Prairie to the kids, and I'm sitting here all stressed out. And she's talking about Pa doing this and Ma doing that, and you know they have vegetables, they have cheese, they have milk, they have all of these things. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know how to do any of that. I am. I don't even know how to grow anything right now. And um, I had a neighbor across the street that stopped over with a ton of vegetables, and she was doing square foot gardening. And she said, yeah, I can, we can't keep up. We've got so many vegetables. We've got so much stuff. I can't keep up with it. And I looked at Julie, and she looked at me, and she's like, we got to try this. we got to do this. And, and I found, kind of like Jack Spirko, that it was a stress reliever. I built boxes out of cedar. I had two four-by-four boxes in the backyard, and we just had a good time with it. We had a lot of fun with it, and it was really a good stress reliever. Just go out there and water the garden, you know? And then I built another box after that, and I started building another box, you know? And, and I just figured out that that was relaxing for me. That was a stress reliever for me. Yeah. Um, and then we moved out of Illinois, moved up to... Minnesota, where we're from, and I just, one of the first projects, we were renting a house, but I cleared a wild area in the back, and I put down a few garden boxes and and uh, just started going again. And uh, they never, the landlord never said anything. They never gave me any heat. They never gave me any trouble. So I had like five garden beds in the back back there and a compost bin, which was Against the city rules, but, you know, I figured what they didn't know wouldn't hurt them. And, uh, <laughs> and then I had uh, started playing with some wicking beds out on the driveway. And, uh, but that's how I got started. And, um, you know, then I got reading uh, 
I bumped into, oh, I didn't bump into, but I found J.M. Fortier with his book, The Market Gardening Book, and then I found yeah. Jack Spierko, and then I was, I bumped into Curtis Stone's website, and I was like, who's this guy? And he came out with his book, and it was just, you know, really got excited about the urban farming kind of stuff, and my wife was getting very worried about that, and then started to look into this permaculture thing, and she was really worried that we were going to start a farm out in Wisconsin, and that uh, that was kind of the plan until that changed. <laughs> I'll admit it, I was thinking that, so, <laughs> but... Uh, it's, uh, it's funny how addicting it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Well, and everything is just tied together, and you know, we're eating stuff that's been highly processed and sprayed and, you know, I've got family that's in big ag- agriculture and they talk about having a whole field full of clover or whatever crop and it's Roundup ready. And they'll bring up a big sprayer of Roundup and just douse the whole field and then it's time to cut, you know, it's it's the craziest stuff, you know, and... and uh, it was kind of fun triggering it because I was talking about organic gardening and, and you know, small-scale, you know, urban farming and all that stuff. And, ooh, it's just amazing how big ag folks get really triggered by that, you know? Yeah, it's kind of funny how that all works because, you know, kind of like you guys, I've got some, I've got family out that's, they're big ag for sure and stuff like that. And it's just like, I don't know, they, uh, they don't really want to listen or see the light because you're kind of this whole purple flag waving thing. That <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh yeah, you're one of those hippies, blah blah blah. You know, but I mean, the cool thing from my background is my uh, my brother's been into farming for. I'm 10 years conventional, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I've asked him questions, like, you know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? He's been very, very honest, you know? He's, yeah. Which has been cool because um, he, he's been able to step back and look at it and not from a complete um, emotional response and say, you know, I save money here on uh, pesticides, but when I have to buy my seed, mm-hmm. that changes everything. So, yeah, and I think I think just my own impression after talking with these family members, um, I think the margins are slim. So if so if, say, urban farmers like Drew Sample or Curtis Stone or Scott Hebert or, you know, you or anybody really gets going and really starts to, I mean, takes just a little percentage that of that very slim margin, suddenly the apple cart goes upside down, you know, and uh, they're so protective of that slim margin. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not just that. It's how they've been trained. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my brother, his total perspective, and I mean, giving him total credit here is he's, he doesn't buy new equipment. He doesn't go spend $250,000 for a combine. Yeah. He'll buy the $10,000 one that's 
old but still works. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's given him a very, very unique perspective on the whole process. Right. But the, the mindset is just, I mean, like the, the very first time I mentioned uh, permaculture to him, he was just like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that before. And I was really surprised. I was like, you've, you've really heard of this? He's like, oh, yeah. I've looked at it, and he goes, here's, here's my concerns with it as a commercial farmer. Sure. Um, it, 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 he's been very, very open about it, and uh, a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't hear from a regular farmer or a, uh, for lack of a better term, a complete hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to where they can look at it and say, well, let's, let's compare apples to oranges here. Yeah. I think that's a probably a really huge problem is you've got people on both sides of the fence that cannot step back and take all the emotion out of it and say, uh, well, here's why I don't think this will work or here's why I think this will work. Boy, that sounds like uh, that's that's uh, pretty damning for the whole country at the moment, I would say. You know, we got that going in many sectors, not just ag, but uh, that's a topic for another time. Yeah, for sure, man. For yeah, sure. Yeah. So, how did you get it? How did? You, how about you? How did you get into oh gardening and farming and all that good stuff? Oh, that's uh, that's probably a really long story, if you don't mind. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's why we're here. It's all about you, man. <laughs> oh no, no. It's uh, so I kind of grew up in conventional agriculture. Sure. And um, my parents were uh, custom harvesters. If anybody. Knows what that means. Basically, a farmer says, "All right, I'll pay you guys X amount of dollars. You come in, harvest all my stuff, and we'll split money or whatever." Um, so I got in it when I was, oh my word, probably about six, eight years old. Mm, wow! And uh, I absolutely loved it. As a kid, I absolutely loved that kind of environment. Sure. Just right, because farming was in my genes, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so we did that till I was 10, 12 years old, I think it was. Gotcha. And um, my mom kind of decided that enough was enough, and they weren't making uh, money at it and stuff like that. So pulled out and came to uh, College Springs, and I had a really, really hard time <laughs> dealing with that because I really enjoyed sure all, all the aspects of farming. Even as a little kid, you don't. You don't look at, you know, the, the, the chemicals and yeah. whatever else it is. You know, you're just looking for lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, absolutely to this day, I can tell you at the moment I decided that uh, I want to be a farmer. <laughs> we did the normal suburban thing. Sure. Um, stuff kind of kept going up until, oh, let's see. I would have to say, I mean, skip forward here till probably 2005. I had my wife in uh, Oklahoma and uh, just kind of told up front that I wanted to be a farmer. I love being a farmer. Sure. And I uh, still proceeded from there. We had, at the time, though, we had lived in town. I was pretty fortunate. My my best friend's dad was totally into organic gardening and all that good stuff. And uh, it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny. He called us up one day and he said, hey. He's like, you guys like gardening and farming like I do. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, all right. 
He's like, well, I just bought 80 acres. Why don't you guys see if you can make something of it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sounds great. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. And so Chad Simmons and I, we looked at it and was like, all right, well, we've read every Joel Solitine book sure. uh, under the sun. And uh, that's an entirely different story right there. But, uh, well, we can make this work and see what we can do. So we did. We started, uh, his his dad had bought those 80 acres. It was an absolute, complete sandbox. Oh. And, I mean, when you're, <clears throat> when you're talking Colorado, uh, water is a real problem for out here for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, it's the, the regulations and stuff with just digging a pond or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Right. So I think we got this. I think rain barrels were illegal there until recently, weren't they? That's right. Yeah. You're looking at probably, I think it's about three years. Yep. Three years ago, they were completely illegal. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, uh, he said, here you go. See what you can do with it. So we did. We uh, we built the whole Joe Solitine chicken tractors and everything. And those chicken tractors soon turned into prairie schooners. <laughs> <laughs> and by prairie schooners, I mean that they had you know the the winds out here are oh, pretty phenomenal. Yes, um, 50, 60 mile an hour gusts. Oh so God. we had, we'd see chicken tractors pop up in the air and take <laughs> flight for <laughs> several hundred feet and chickens flying everywhere. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It was, it was a huge, huge learning experience. Oh, um, yeah, I would say. <laughs> but we quickly made adjustments to all of that. And, uh, what was very interesting with our whole process was, Nobody out here was doing that at the yeah. time. Um, Joel Solitine was not cool, and uh-huh. people didn't like him and all that kind of thing. Um, but we had gotten connected with the local uh, downtown college here, and they really liked what we were doing and what we were trying to do, mm-hmm. and they understood that we were trying to stick with the whole Joel Solitine method. And... Um, they actually got him out here on a grant, wow. and we got to talk with him and get to visiting and going over some stuff. And How cool is that? Some... That's great. What's that? How cool is that? That's great. Oh, yeah. It was, it was very cool. It was very, very cool. Um, it was pretty neat to be part of that whole process. Of, uh, it was when Joe Salatine wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when people really, really didn't like him at all. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, we, we did very, very well. We had a, uh, 340-ish CSA member. Wow. Ship. It, it, it took quite a while to get to that point. Um, but at the time, nobody else was doing any of this stuff at all. Right. So right. <clears throat> it was a very huge learning process and, uh. We enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we had some very good successes and some very, very big failures on top of that, too. 
Sure. So with that sandy soil and you're trying to, you're running chickens, I mean, was it eggs or was it meat chickens? It was both. Okay. So you're trying to build some soil. I mean, did you have some success building the soil and, and starting to see that sand turn into something? Or was it just, it's just like uh, the Sahara Desert kind of thing? No, we did. Okay. And that, that's what was a very huge defining moment for both of us mm-hmm. was, um, so the, the property that had been bought was 80 acres. And the neighbor had decided that his cows needed priority over that land. Ah. So when I say it was a sandbox, it was a complete sandbox. It had been overgrazed, and they had taken everything out of there, pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in Colorado, you're looking at probably 2% topsoil. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Maybe for like So when we discovered Joe Solatine and thought that was the holy grail of everything, <laughs> we we did. We, we set up the whole chicken tractors and we rotate them down you know they go down several feet 14 feet a day mm-hmm. come down come down the other side but here was the amazing part was two weeks after they had been on that spot was you had all the sand picking up and lo and behold there's grass coming out of that sand really huh yeah wow it, and it, we didn't know what we were doing. We did not know what we were doing at all. Um, but it was just like, wow, look at that. There's actually grass coming out. What was really cool is it was, <clears throat> it was 80 acres. Um, and so we had gone from, you know, up by the house, mm-hmm. clear down all the way to the end, turn around and coming back the other way. And it was just, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely phenomenal. It's like, wow. So even though it's a different environment, some of this stuff really, really works out here. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and just to see new life and where it was so barren before, that's got to just that's just got to give you that, that juice, you know, that, man, we can do this. We can make something out of this and keep you going, you know? Oh, yeah. And then, and then it did was just like, wow, this, this really works out here. Okay, some of these... Uh, systems that Joel had come up with, they they don't quite work out here. Mm-hmm. But when you take an absolute, pretty much desert environment, and somewhere um, on my phone, I, I still have pictures of where it was just, it was really sand. It works. It really works. As long as you keep on top of it, keep moving stuff through, it just, it, 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 it's pretty amazing. So during this time, were you working another job, or was this it? This is what you were doing. No, so I was I was still working a full time job. Okay. Um, Chad was still working. He was working full time out there. I was only able to come out there on the weekends, um, but it was it was full on. It was absolute from Friday night till Sunday night of getting stuff done, getting production done, getting vegetables clean, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds very familiar uh, to listeners who listen to Michael Bell, who's down in Austin, and uh, he is doing the same thing in the early morning hours, late night hours, because he's a full-time teacher, and then he's going out there getting his uh, veg- vegetables for his CSA-type boxes. So, yeah, totally. 
That's what he yeah. can do sometimes, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I guess that's a very good thing to throw out to listeners out there is, what are you wanting from this? You know, why why are you wanting to do this? Because it's, it's cool and Jeff Watton and all the other guys are doing this, but um, why are you wanting to do this personally? Mm-hmm. It is a lot of work. Yep. It's a lot of work. There's a, uh, there's a wise man, very wise man, who has a PBR in his hand usually, and he makes weird little uh, OK symbols. But he says something similar. He says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> very Yoda, very Yoda like. <laughs> and I think people get uh, get very involved emotionally. Yep. Um, the whole romantic idea of the whole farm and this and that we can raise our own food and etc. But we don't stop to think of what kind of impact does it have on my family. Right. Yeah, and I think um, that was the little voice in the back of my head. Um, uh, my wife, Julie, she was she was asking that same question, you know, and I was just like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. But um, but I think that's a value, it's a really good question because you don't want to, you really don't want to bite off more than you can chew, especially in this kind of deal, because you could end up with a very expensive property and a big, uh, big mess on your hands pretty quickly, I think. You can, and what I've come across since, 2005 was a lot of people jump into it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally understand that. Blah, 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 blah. And they jump full bore into it thinking that, that they know more than you do. And I, I'm not trying to sound pompous or anything like that. It's just like, you know, there's a whole other aspect of this that you don't understand because the whole farm life's been romanticized so so much oh yeah definitely i mean think about it uh you have the laura ingalls wilder like i talked about you know laura ingalls wilder books and uh you know making it on the prairie and that that pull yourself up on the bootstraps and you can do all this or or even uh thoreau you know like went out to the woods to discover myself and live the woods and and kind of carve it out or grizzly adams you know for the jack spurkowitz you know <laughs> you know i i did it you know and i'm living off the land and it's all berries and rainbows and unicorns but it's tough work it's a lot of work yeah i think people just as old as i am <laughs> it's kind of funny i'm sure greg would give me a huge hard time about that <laughs> you're not that old man come on now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really have to stop and put reality in its place and yep. think why do i want to do this mm-hmm you know, do I want to do this to be able to provide my family some really, really good food? Or do I just have this huge notion of, well, look, that's how Jeff Lawton and Greg Burns and Michael Jordan and et cetera, et cetera, are doing it. And yeah. Curtis Stone and oh, yeah. that's how it has to be. And mm-hmm. I do not think people stop to take a minute and think, how does this really, really affect my family directly? Yeah, I really don't think that they do. Well, and I, you know, it's uh, you can't just. And then Jack Spierko talks about this on his podcast, where he and Dorothy are kind of anchored at their nine mile farm because they've got 
you know, 100 ducks they're running. They're running turkeys. They're running the aquaponics now. They're running the dogs and the cats. I mean, they've got all this stuff going on. They just can't go for the weekend down to, you know, down to Corpus Christi and hang out on the beach because they got to line up people to feed everything and make sure it all runs or they're going to have a, a lot of uh, maybe sick or dead animals on their hands, which is going to hurt their business, and that'll be just, it'll be a mess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And even, you know, Julie, one thing she did is she reminded me, she's like, you know, when you, you go and you, and we had an example of that because, um, you know, harvest all these tomatoes or harvest all these beans or harvest the cucumbers or, you know, you got to do something with that stuff or it's going to go bad. You know, as long, if you're just a gardener, you're either going to give it away, can it or eat it, or it's all going to rot on you. And, uh, you know, you amplify that with the bigger farm and, and, uh, yeah. What are you doing? Why you why do you want to do all that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just it just gets totally romanticized. Yep. Yep. But I mean, you, know, you talk to people and like I said, I've been doing this since two thousand five. Mm-hmm. And you tell people that it's like, you know, maybe you should step back and look at it and people are like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand that, but <laughs> blah 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 and and, and, and Jeff Lawton and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They just they don't even hear you. Yeah. They don't so, even hear you. So um, what happened with that with that CSA? What happened with all with the 80 acres? So you're not there now, are you? Or you've moved on to other acres and other other places, correct? Right. So, I mean, here, here's what kind of happened with that whole thing was we had done very, very well with the whole um, vegetable CSAs, chicken CSAs. We had been um, <clears throat> signed up with the Western Price Foundation, and I mean, we were very, very detailed with people picking up their chickens and their chicken feet to make their chicken broth, and sure. you name it. Um, it was going very, very well. What ended up happening was my uh, poor friend Chad was getting overrun with work. I could only come out on weekends, and I was going out there with my kiddos while my wife was still working in town. He got burnt out. Yeah. Complete, total burnout. Um, and it was one of those things where the dad was um, not willing to hire somebody uh. or two or three people. So there was an opportunity that had come up, 27 milk cows, and there's there, there, there's some good money to be made with uh, raw milk shares and stuff like that. Oh. But if you only have one person working it, they're going to burn out really, really quick. Oh, yeah. So that that's pretty much what happened. Um, we'd all met and had a little family friend meeting and I voiced my concerns about, um, bringing on the whole herd share, stuff like that. But because of the dollar sign, um, was kind of ignored. So it went good for a while, but because the milk shares were bringing in so much money, you can guess what started to take its toll. Yep. The, uh, we had 10 90 foot raised beds with all organic soil, you name it, coming through there. And it just, it didn't work out. Yeah. Yep. All that stuff got put off to the side. The herbs, the vegetables, it just got put off to the side to where it wasn't, wouldn't bring in enough money in the whole nine yards. I mean, you're looking at a 328 CSA share within two years. That's pretty amazing growth. That's really amazing. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's very, very amazing growth. But when you have one person 
essentially mm-hmm. doing 90% of the work, absolute burnout. Absolutely. I, I, I talk to people these days of, you know, young couples that talk to me about, you know, they want to start a farm and stuff like that. It's like, look, please, please take your time, perfect one thing at a time. Don't get wrapped up in everything. Yeah, you can guess how, how much that gets listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I'm one of those guys with, uh, I get going in a lot of different directions, and it's always good to finish something, get really good at it, and finish it before you start the next project, and sometimes I'm on to like three projects, so I've got to, I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know the feeling. I'm in the same boat. Mm-hmm. It's my personality but, type, but uh, yeah. So that's what happened. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. The farm eventually failed um, because of complete burnout. Mm. Um, it really, really boiled down to one person doing 90% of the work, doing the CSA shares and the milk shares and the butter shares and eggs and chickens, and it can't happen. That's and I, I think that's a, that's a real huge problem is where people cannot stop and say, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Would somebody please help me? Yep. It's a complete pride issue. It really, really is. Yeah, and it, that's the problem with small business, too, is when to hire, you know, how much do we pay, do we keep them on full-time, what happens if I have to lay them off. I mean, all those labor issues, it gets into it, and uh, it cuts into the to the, the profit margin as well. But but if you don't, then you might not be able to get it all done, and then, then you get burnout and all the other things, too. Yeah, you can't sustain that for very long. Right. I just, I feel so sad for so many little farms I see out here where where we're at. It's just like, please take a breath and and reevaluate. Just just accept that you've got to have help. You know, unless you've got a huge family, it's going to be willing to jump in there 100% and and take care of stuff. You're You're just asking for value of what you're asking for. Sure. So obviously... There was a point where you left that operation, but you still had the farming bug in you. You still had the, you still wanted to do some stuff. So what was your next move after that? Did you get, do you have your farm, which you have now, or did you kind of take a deep breath, take a little time and then decide to go for it? Yeah. So after that, all kind of, you know, called quits and stuff like that. We had just, they took a year off because both my wife and I really, really wanted to provide the best food we could for our kids chicken, dairy, you name it. Um, we just took a year off just to kind of take a breather. And then a, uh, a close family friend had said, look, I have 80 acres out here. Um, if you guys want to do something with it, go for it. If you don't, that's fine too. Sure. So um, after that year transition period of, you know, we're not doing anything whatsoever, um, we, bought, we bought chicks. And started really going to town on a whole thing, and uh, started raising their own birds, eggs, meat, and you know, the whole shebang right there. And uh, that turned out pretty well. Um, like I said before, you cannot base everything like the whole Jill Salty method of move everything once a day. <laughs> we couldn't. We had to move stuff um, two times a day at least, maybe even three times a day. Wow. Um, just because of the environment we have here. 
Sure. There's just not, we do not have pasture like Joel Solison does, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures he sent me, and uh, yeah, that's not Joel Solison territory right there. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Yeah, it uh for listeners who well I'll, I'll if you don't mind I'll put a picture up on or a couple pictures up on the uh on the blog post so you can see the area that uh that we're talking about but it it kind of looks like the uh the prairie out there by uh you know Pueblo and that area over there just uh a lot of flat. Yeah, it it does. Um when we bought our property here it was it was a foreclosure. Oh, okay. Um they had overgrazed the living tarnation out of everything, which, you know, stuff happens to people. You know, they make good decisions, bad decisions. So, you know, they just got to do what they got to do if they got animals and stuff like that. So, very heavily over, overgrazed. Mm-hmm. So, when we moved here, we didn't have a whole lot of money to work with stuff. Sure. But what I did have was a good mower. Huh. And uh, I would... I would mow at several periods throughout the season where I knew I could get all the seed off of the, uh, we call the blue grandma grass out here and just kind of keep going from there. Um, the ruts and whatnot, I put old logs and bark and everything else. Hmm. Um, and just, we've been here for three and a half years and it's, it's 110% different than what it was. It's almost like a mini hoople mound or something like that with the bark or, or the logs and the, the ruts. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's huge. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I know you haven't been here and stuff like that, but you talk with, you know, Michael Jordan and Greg Burns. Yep. Um, when they come out here, they're just like, you know, we're driving out here and all of a sudden we see this place that's just very, very green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's it's been a lot of work. It it has definitely been a lot of work, but it's um my wife and I began to be very timing and all the mowing and cutting and filling in certain spots in here. It's 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 made a big, big difference. So do you live on the property then? We do. Okay. We do. We've been here for three and a half years now. Yeah. Yeah. So was there a house on the property or did you did you build out there? No, there was a house. Oh, okay. Cool. Nice. Yeah, as a little aside, I'm going to be out that way for training next year. I'm going to be down in Pueblo, so maybe I'll have to uh, get a car <clears throat> and uh, see what I can do. Wink, nut. Oh heck, you come right out here for sure. I'll fly into the I'll fly into the springs or or up into Denver, and that'll uh, that'll help the situation. <laughs> so Michael puts on uh, probably about three classes mm-hmm. out here a year. Um, and our, our big class that we have is in May, and that's usually about three to four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he so, talked about that one. Yep. Come on out, and even if you're not into beekeeping and whatnot, I just, it's an absolutely phenomenal class for sure. Oh, I'm into it. <laughs> I don't know if my wife wants me to have them, but uh, yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. I've had a lot. Of, I've. What's interesting about this house? Uh, I'm in North Minneapolis, and you know, about 15 minutes from where I lived, and we we're getting some Italian bees and different kind of bees down there. Here, it's a lot of bumblebees, and I don't know where they're coming from exactly, but man, the bumblebees here were amazing, just all over the place. So, 
style. That's just a little different, you know? Uh, I've never well, seen so many. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of big. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go. No, go ahead. As we've been out here, it's a different stuff. Um, we first moved out here, there was just hardly any wildlife. Yeah. Um, but we worked really, really hard on putting in different species of plants and timing our mowings on it. I mean, it's so. Some people really get off on the, you know, you're only mowing your grass and you're mowing your pastures, mm-hmm. but, you know, we're we're doing what we can do. Exactly. And I think that's a huge thing right there is where, you know, people do what they can do is, well, you can afford a mower, you can't exactly afford a few cows. You know, that's, that's several thousand bucks. Yeah. So anyway, we... We've gone through, tried getting things mowed at certain times, mm-hmm. and it's, it's every year. Every year for three and a half years, it's a huge variety of different um, birds showing up. Cool. I mean, birds that are not even supposed to be native around here that are showing up because they're, I mean, we're guessing that they're looking at it. It's like, wow, look, there's a place I can actually live and I yeah. can thrive. So show up. <laughs> it's a little slice of heaven in this uh, this arid plain. Hey, let's go there. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah, that's right. And this is where we'll end this episode of the podcast. If you want to find out more about Danielle, he can be found on Facebook and on the Regenerative Dads website and iTunes page. I have a link in the show notes at smallscalelife.com if you want to find out more. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you back here really soon with part two of our interview with Danielle Freeman. Remember to grow, explore, and be healthy. This is Tom from The Small Scale Life. Take care, everyone.